Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in to the Online Enquirer podcast. It is Monday, October 12th, and of course it is Mondays with Mike, Michael Carpenter. And we got a lot to talk about, Mike. We got a bunch of uh, Illinois training camp storylines to see how interested we are in these. We got Bryce Hopkins possibly making a decision soon and Illinois basketball recruiting, everybody checking every message board update. And uh, we got some a, a bunch of sports going on, NFL, NBA, MLB, all of it going on. So good morning, Mike. How are you, man? Good morning. Doing well. I had texted you yesterday. Man, it'd be really nice if we got the first game time. And would it be Friday night? Would it be Saturday? Because you know me. I love schedules. I love predicting seasons, even though it's such a futile effort anyways. But it was cool to have this come down the wire this morning. That it's. I think it's kind of a big deal that you get the first Big Ten game of the year. You're all alone on an island on a Friday night. Uh, you know, Big Ten Network, maybe not ESPN, but there will be a lot of people watching, just casual college football fans, and it makes an opportunity. It was going to be an opportunity anyway. I just think it makes it that much more exciting to know that you can really kind of set the the tenor of the season on a Friday night. Yeah, so Illinois will kick off against Wisconsin on Friday, October 23rd at 7 p.m. And I tweeted out the other day that Lovey was like, I'm really interested to see what day and time we play because even he didn't know yet. And people were like, they still haven't decided that? And it was, yeah, that was part of the Big Ten announcement is it's October 23rd or the 24th. And I had a feeling Illinois could play on Friday night, Cart, because they were supposed to play on Friday night against Illinois State with the first schedule, 1.0. Schedule 2.0, mm-hmm. they were supposed to play Thursday night against Ohio State so I figured Illinois might get that draw and it's not a bad thing to kick off a Big Ten season right I mean people are going to be watching Wisconsin I think national reporters are going to be watching Wisconsin and for Illinois it is a chance to, to pull off another upset and kind of prove yourself as a program so well, for me, it's just about when do I have to be in Madison if I get a press pass to Madison? There's only about six or seven of us media who will get a press yeah. pass there, which will be an interesting exercise for fans who get to see who makes the cut or not. But um, I, other than that, I don't think it impacts Illinois' game or not. But uh, I think it is an opportunity for Illinois that if you know, you're alone on that schedule. People are going to be interested in the Big Ten starting up. People are going to be interested in Wisconsin, which has had rising numbers of COVID cases and how they pull this off without any fans. And that's been such a big deal with Wisconsin is it's such a great atmosphere with all the fans there and they won't be there. What makes it even more exciting, and it, it doesn't have anything to do specifically with Illinois or Wisconsin, but even the last weekend of college football, and Harriet actually texted me and Trevor midway through Saturday as Missouri was beating LSU, and you continue to see these results that are head-scratching. And then it makes it all the more clear that in this year of all years, and with how start and stop everything has been, that when you look at Illinois-Wisconsin, a game which I think we all would have said, yeah, okay, we give Illinois, I don't know, a 10% shot, it's on the road. But a lot of the factors that made me more leery about that matchup are not at play. Specifically, it's not a home field advantage. It's kind of like a glorified scrimmage on a Friday night, first game of the year after an abbreviated training camp. 
all these factors taken together and the novelty, let's call it, of a Friday night kickoff makes me think, you know, I've seen enough weirdness in this college football season to think that there could be another chapter of weirdness with this Illinois team against this Wisconsin team. Illinois hasn't beaten Wisconsin in back-to-back years, Carp, since? Um, 2001-2002. Yeah, I knew it. Uh, it's been a long time. Wisconsin, I think Illinois got one win during that time. I think I think that's it. Or two. 07. I was okay, seven in last year yeah. and a one and oh two. And in the nineties, that would have been when Alvaro's got it going. So if you think about it, I, I said this on the 200 level that we can look at Ohio state. And obviously that's one that we usually just mark as a loss on the schedule, but in basketball before the Cole center this year, and then before the upset against Wisconsin last year, Wisconsin in football and basketball, that was the guaranteed loss. And it is a nice position to be in where, do I expect a win? Not necessarily, but do I expect a game that will be intriguing going into the fourth quarter? Yeah. I do, and I think anything less than that, if it's you know a 24-point Wisconsin league going that fourth quarter, that would be a genuine disappointment. Yeah. I, I just think all the weirdness of this season, again, means that Illinois should be right there through a good chunk of this game. I, I didn't count up the losses, but since 1993 against Wisconsin, oh Illinois <laughs> has four wins against Wisconsin and one tie. So that's a lot of losses. 1995. I think it was a tie at the end of the year that if they just would have made a field goal, they go to a bowl game. And instead they finish 5-5-1. Five, five and one. Kevin Hardy, Simeon Rice, right? Um, yeah, man. Yeah, they had that team. I, I don't think Alasek was on the team. Might have been. Um, but yeah, 3-3. Three, three, that's very Tepper. That was very Tepper of a game. So Tepper. Um, okay, Carp. Before we get into Bryce Hopkins and what we think of that one going into possibly a decision week or week and a half here, uh, I want to ask you about some training camp storylines that maybe I find interesting that are like delving into the weeds here. Um, how, how interesting you find these stories. And I, I start with probably the biggest position battle because unlike a lot of positions, whether it's defensively or at wide receiver um, quarterback and then offensive line, those starters matter a lot because they're playing almost hundred percent of the snaps, right? So the open right guard job between Virtus Brown and Jordan Slaughter, how interesting is that to you? And do you have a preference Hmm. I we'll do one to 10 scale. We'll do one. Not very interested, not interested at all is one. And then 10 would be very interested. Let's call that a five, which is higher than it would normally be for a position battle. Usually I'm the kind of fan that when it's the week of that's when I consume the most everything. I'm always macro, never more so than the weeks leading up to a season, but the final week game week, when we get the matchups and all that and start reading the preview pieces, that's where something like this is interesting. And with a name like Burtis Brown, which was kind of a, a keystone recruit for lovey and seeing, okay, well, can this guy actually pan out to be an impact player on this offensive line, which is a pretty good offensive line. I'm going to give it a five because I do think that this team's strength, as we know, is the potential of the offense. And if you can count on all five guys in that offensive line, as you said, they get the most snaps of anybody along with the quarterback, then that gives you a little bit more margin for error in other areas, specifically defense. So I'm going to give it a five, which is higher than I would normally get a right guard competition i like it and i think virtus brown is going to win that job by the way but i think it's encouraging that lovey smith and and maybe he's just saying it to us because we can't see them and see their struggles this year but uh, he said jordan slaughters look pretty good too so that's a good thing you got to develop that depth especially when you could lose four starters next year Um, all right matt robinson lovey said quote matt robinson is our backup quarterback (laughs) what is your interest in that storyline and interest is separate from excitement level. I want to put yes. it that way because it's not as if Matt Robinson, no offense to him, is the most exciting quarterback 
But in terms of interest, it's at a seven because we saw last year that Brandon Peters was not healthy for all 12 games. And even though it is an eight-game schedule, or 13, uh, even though it is an eight-game schedule with the ninth tacked on and who knows what bowl season looks like, it's hard to know if Brandon Peters will suit up for all nine Big Ten games. If he does, he feel great. If he doesn't, is Matt Robinson the kind of quarterback that can win you a game? Will you get second half of Michigan, Matt Robinson? Or will you get Northwestern, Matt Robinson? And that's a, that's a wide divergence right there. But I think that might have been a case of there wasn't a lot of tape on him. I don't know how seriously Michigan took it. And then Pat Fitzgerald had maybe a little bit more to work with. I'm giving that a seven because it's impactful. Not because I'm excited to see Matt Robinson play, but because if he has to, that changes the entire formula. I always feel sympathy for Matt Robinson because he comes synonymous with like this boring, I don't, I don't want that guy here. When Rod Smith has only talked about him like, listen, I can rely on this guy. He makes the right decisions most of the time. He took care of the ball last year, right? He's, he looked like a game manager, but he was a redshirt freshman. I think a lot of people forget that. Uh, and he has had moments in the camps that we've seen that are really scintillating. But it's because you got the guy behind him, Isaiah Williams, who's this top 200 recruit, who's got this sensational talent. But last year got hurt in training camp, which has been a concern of his uh, for everybody. A lot of people didn't recruit him as a quarterback because he's so small. But he does have a rocket arm. He's electric in the open field. And I think everybody wants him to win that job now because, one, one he's exciting when he steps onto a field. But, two, it, it means he's probably the guy next year and, and maybe could be an amazing talent. But it's not a surprise to me that a guy who didn't get a lot of reps last year because he was hurt early and then Matt won the backup job and then guy who didn't have a spring this year to kind of get himself in front of Matt, I think that really hurt him. So I still have... I still have a lot of excitement about what Isaiah Williams can be, but it's not a given. And I think that's what fans might see here is that, you know, Isaiah Williams still has more to prove to Rod Smith, uh, you know, everybody, and that Matt Robinson maybe is just the more reliable, trustworthy option to them right now. Now, if Brandon got hurt for a long period of time, I think it could be a different decision, right? Because if Matt's the guy who can come in, do a good job, keep you in a game, help you maybe win a game, or is Isaiah the guy that can actually go win a game? Or is it Deuce Span, who's a freshman that Rod loves? Like, I think next year that quarterback battle is going to be wide open and really interesting with Isaiah, Deuce, and Matt Robinson. So I don't think Matt Robinson winning the backup job, if that is the case, um, says that Isaiah is not the guy long term. I just think it says they feel comfortable with him, Kurt. Yeah, and I think with Matt Robinson, we saw it. This is anecdotal. It's one game, but we saw in that Northwestern game how myself included, clamoring on Twitter. I became part of the Twitter mob. We need to see Isaiah. This offense doesn't do anything with Matt Robinson. Isaiah gets in there. It was well, it was messy. Yeah. It was raw. And w- that's what you would expect, right? I-, I think that with Isaiah Williams, we were spoiled by the previous Isaiah Williams, where as a true freshman, he came on and he won that game at Michigan State. And we're thinking, well, it's just, it's part two of that. He's a phenom. No one remembers the Ohio game, though. Remember the Ohio no, game? He terrible. was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly. Terrible. So I think that with Matt Robinson, it is... By the time he graduates, it's going to feel like he was here for eight years, which is so unfair. It's not on him. It's just the fact that you have this shiny toy. It was the marquee recruit of the Lovey Smith era. And because of that, you project all the expectations on him. And for some, just face value, they think, oh, Matt Robinson, get, get out of the way. Let this kid go. So it is an interesting battle. Let's call it for the backup spot, even though it seems very clear that Matt Robinson's that backup. And hopefully... Again, no offense to him. You get Brandon Peters for all nine games, and it's 
not a conversation we need to have. The good news is Matt Robinson would have been the best quarterback of the 2017 group, and he's your backup that people want to be the three. I think that's that's a good thing uh, for this program. What was the, as a quick reminder, the 2017 quarterback room? Uh, Chase, Ch- Chase Crouch, love Chase, competitor, right? But just mm-hmm. say he had arm injury, shoulder injury, couldn't throw. Uh, Jeff George Jr. threw a lot of picks. Yep. Cam Thomas. Mm-hmm. Trenard Davis had to move to quarterback that year to be an emergency guy. It was ugly. Hey, you know, it, it, to the credit of Cam, he did have that one drive, opening drive against Northwestern. It was the best Garrick McGee drive of his two-year tenure. I don't know if he scored again after that, but that was a great opening drive, and I thought that might be the guy of the future. So I, I will say that, obviously, compared to 2017, the quarterback room is in better position. Matt Robinson is a better option than any yeah. of those guys. And could he step in and win you a game depending on the opponent? I think so. And that's based on the skill players around him and then an offensive line that you hope you can count on. And we got to remember that Northwestern game, he had none of his top four wide receivers, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so that that wasn't completely on him. He didn't have much to throw to, and Brandon didn't have it in the uh, bowl game either. Uh, speaking of Brandon Peters, um, he said last week we got to meet with him. I thought he was great. There are really high expectations for him, Cart, but he said he met with Kurt Warner over a long weekend during this uh you know, COVID period and, and worked with him. But uh, man, Lovey Smith has not, you know, lowered expectations for Brandon Peters. So what'd you think of the Kurt Warner thing? And, and what, what are your <laughs> expectations for Brandon Peters this year? A tan, a tan as uh, what's the character in varsity blues? I mean, it, oh, no, let's call it an eight. And here's why it, Brandon Peters. I'm not going to go Bob Osmussen here and, and talk about how he has Heisman credentials. And I like Bob a lot, but I do think, there is a lot of credence to the idea that his best case scenario season, Brandon Peters' best case scenario season, you could be looking at the best quarterback performance of, let's call it a drop back quarterback. Juice Williams was kind of his own thing since Kurt Kittner, which sounds like hyperbole, but it's also kind of an indictment against where Illinois quarterbacking has been. No offense to Nate Shieldhouse had his moments too. But I do think in terms of ceiling for a single season, and in this, the weirdest of seasons, that Brandon Peters does have a lot of potential. We know that much. And that meeting with a guy like Kurt Warner, it's kind of a fun anecdote. I don't know if that's going to do anything or not, but we know that Brandon Peters has the tools. He's got the measurables. It's just simply a case of, okay, can you count on the guys around him? And can you count on Brandon Peters, who especially in the first half of last season, there would be enough plays that made you kind of pull your hair out and think, ah, I see it. And then I see that throw, and I'm thinking, well, what the heck? I think that you could see a far cleaner season from Brandon Peters than last year, which was a mix of some highlights, but along with some drives that were ending prematurely because he missed a guy or missed a read or got sacked. I think when people think back to Brandon Peters, Carp, they think of the end of the Wisconsin game, the end of the Michigan State game, um, taking care of the ball in those two wins between it, right, Rutgers and, and Purdue, and then they think of the dive against Cal. What I think people forget a little bit is the inconsistency he had. And, and for me, he had a lot of home runs last year. Even with his legs late in the season, he's got to hit singles and doubles this year. That That's what an NFL quarterback does is he's efficient, he takes what the defense gives him, and he makes those simple throws that I think Brandon sometimes struggled with. But I think he's got a ceiling with his running ability, um, which is not underrated anymore. Can we stop writing that storyline and talking about that? He's a good runner. He's a good athlete. We know that. He was a D1 basketball recruit, okay? He's not He's not an oak tree, as Rod Smith likes to say. Um, but he's got an Iowa quarterback ceiling, 
right? Like Nate Stanley, CJ Beathard. I think he can be those guys and put himself into the mix for a late round draft pick, which as you said, that hasn't happened with an Illinois quarterback since Kirk Kittner was selected in the middle rounds. Right. So I think he's got that ceiling, but to get there, I think he's got to make hit those singles and doubles. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's where there were those, those drives that did end premature last year would be frustrating, but then you could chalk it up to first year in the system. You could chalk it up to a lack of depth at wide receiver. Cause that would have been the early playing time days of uh, Casey Washington or Navarro. Some of these guys that you feel much more comfortable being in the mix this year. So with the tools around and with the line that's in front of them, second year in the system, all those things that you normally talk about with quarterbacks, everything seems to be laid out for him to have a good a very good season and I would not put it past him to have a potentially great season I think the kind of hidden factor in all this you know Rod Smith for as good as that offense was in year one actually in some ways took a step back last year and it had the moments that led you to victories but it also had those moments that uh, led other games to just let's take the Rutgers first half that was a rough first half. It took your defense to actually pull away in the second half. You can't really have those this year. So I think that comes down to uh, comfort within that offense and also the fact that you know the tools are there. You know that the skill players are there too. So there's not really excuses like you kind of had built in last year. Yeah, and I wrote this, Rod and Brandon knowing each other, year two of the system, right? I think that's huge for them. And, and talking with guys like Riley O'Toole and, and Wes Lunt, they've told me that's huge because uh, those guys didn't have very many coordinators there for a second year. All right, one more. Uh, I don't know if you watched the Luke Ford media availability. Uh, I saw you, a picture. I did not see it, but I saw the stills from it. Uh, he's he's baby Gronk. He's got that superstar personality, uh, and he's also got, obviously, top 100 talent. So I don't know what your expectations are, Carp, but Luke Ford making his debut. What would you rank that uh, 1 to 10? Let's call it an 8, and it'd be higher if you didn't already have good tight ends on the roster. So you have Barker and what he showed last year. You have Daniel and Matter Bay Bay. So that's exciting to have three guys that you think could be pretty good. I don't know how many formations you can throw out there with three tight ends. I don't know if one of those guys could line up at, I mean, not slot necessarily, but how many of those guys can maybe go wide depending on, you know, down position, all that sort of thing. But with Luke Ford, I think that it's, I'm not going to compare him to West Lunt, but the only comparable would be that hometown guy goes away, comes back. And West Lunt was not able to live up, up to those expectations, many of which were unfair and many of which were circumstance. If you go circumstance. back and look at his stats, though, he's like top seven all time in passing oh, yards. Yeah. He's top eight all time in touchdowns. But I get what you're saying. Like people yeah. thought he'd be the savior of the Tim Beckman era. Like, OK, he'll, he'll make everything right. And that was probably pretty unfair. He obviously couldn't stay on the field very long and he just couldn't move right with the with the pieces around him so I, I get how he had these numbers yet people still wanted more yeah absolutely so Luke Ford's not being asked to be the savior of the program but he can be a key part with three more years of eligibility right I mean it feels like he's been here for a while but I think he's still he's technically registered sophomore this year after what happened last year so this is it's weird to look at tight end and think about Illinois. It's been either kicker you or punter you, but they've had some really good tight ends in this millennium. And you can go back to oh, Oho or Humana. I can't say his last <laughs> Michael, name. Michael uh, Omanawa Nui uh, also had yeah. Matt Lacoste, also had yes. Jeff Cumberland. All those guys right. played in the NFL. 
uh, and they never used him very well. But it was interesting. Rod Smith used Barker a lot last year. Justice Williams got involved a lot last year. So I, I think even though you're playing fewer games, five, four or five fewer games this year, I think your tight ends could have more production this year than they had last year. And I'm really interested to see how Rod uses that and how really um, a guy like Brandon spreads the ball out this year instead of having to just go, I got to throw it to Bebe. I got to throw it to Bebe. I mentioned it the last time we spoke is that for any quarterback, it seems like it's either the running back out of the flat or it's the tight end. That's a safety valve for them. And you have that many options. You can count on Barker because of what he did last year, but you can also probably, I would assume count on Luke Ford, despite the fact we didn't see him last year. There was a reason that that guy got the offers that he did went to Georgia in the first place. He, if not elite is a very, very good tight end that I don't think there's probably going to be, wouldn't anticipate at least a sort of growing up period. He's already a third year in college. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's, he's got all those tangible factors that I think will, you can just slot him in and just let him do his thing. Yeah. He'll make an impact. Even if it's just as a blocker, like they didn't have a tight end who could block and catch like, well, right. He can do both those things and, and give him some dynamic ability. All right, Carp, when we come back, we'll go rapid fire about Bryce Hopkins the Bears. We gotta talk about our Bears, uh, the NBA Finals, and our MLB teams. That's next on the Online Enquirer Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, Carp, here we go again. Illinois basketball down to the wire, probably in the top group for another top 100 talent. This one, an in-state kid who they missed out on first time around. Bryce Hopkins committed to Louisville, but now he's open. And Illinois is in a battle with Kentucky, Providence, and Indiana hmm. uh, for Hopkins. And this one, it depends on who you ask, man. Uh, what's going on? Who he's favoring going into this one? Some people think it's Kentucky. Some people think it's Providence. Some people think Illinois is still in there and has a chance to close this one. Have you gotten into this one? Like, how have you kind of measure how you got into this one compared to Nesbitt or whoever before him? I'm not touching this with the 10 foot pole. It's just, it, it's, you, you know what I reach with recruiting and this might be a defense mechanism is that sometimes you just got to say, whatever will be, will be case of Rossera and the case of Bryce Hopkins, this being the second go around with a Kentucky in the mix. And then you hear a weird name like Providence. And that actually doesn't make me feel any better because I think, well, why would they be in it unless they were seriously in it? Right. So when, when you take those factors and being a little bit gun shy because of how 2021 has gone so far, it is a good position to be in as a fan and then also for Brad Underwood and those guys that you have the team that you have this year, that you do have a Luke Goody already in the mix, and you have with this class as your true freshman, especially Adam Miller, Andre Crabello. You got the pieces that you need where maybe you don't need the top 100 or home run guy at the wing or at the big. But eventually, 
you want to land them and you don't want to miss what could be an opportunity and have that gap in your roster for a coaching staff that I think has done a phenomenal job roster building. It, it still is an uphill battle if you miss out on another right. one and then another one, and then you got to play catch up. I think we've all kind of said that Mac Etienne's kind of the boomer bust guy in this class. Like if you get him, it's going to be a good class, no matter what. Uh, and Goody's a nice get for them. And if you add Hopkins or if you added a Nesbitt, this is an unbelievable class. And Illinois continues to stay atop the big 10 if, if they do that this year as well. Um, but again, we kind of go back to, if you miss out on these guys, you're not like, oh my God, the program's going in the tank again. Like, that That's where you're at with this program because you have Curbella, you have Miller, even a Coleman Hawkins who they're really, really excited about. Um, and, and, you know, the transfer market, what they've been able to do there, and they should win yet again this year. So I think that's what makes you feel better. But there is a point in this class where you keep missing on your priorities. That's a concern because it's not ideal, right? Like it, the ideal version of this for Illinois to stay atop the Big Ten, which is a loaded conference with a bunch of great coaches and a bunch of good recruiters, is that you keep landing these guys every year. So if you land Hopkins, you feel great. And, and then you're like, man, we get ETN. We're back into this top 10 conversation of recruiting classes. But if you miss on both those guys, that's a huge missed opportunity for this staff. So I can understand why people are stressed out about it, why they're putting themselves into it. But it doesn't have the same like drop off of previous recruiting conversations we've had over the last decade. Yeah, not to dredge up <clears throat> ghosts from the past, but thinking about Alan Griffin, that only that was something I kind of compartmentalized and I put away. It, it stinks, but it's college basketball, guys move on. But missing out on another wing like this, and then you're thinking, okay, I know Alan Griffin would have only, he would have been a senior by the time these guys would have come in. So that's one year that's kind of a filler until you get a really good 2022 wing. But that still would have made an impact in terms of roster building because you could have said, well, these guys are merely bonus, right? Getting a Nesbitt, getting a Hopkins, that's a bonus, but we got Griffin through 2022. You don't have that. So again, dredging up goes from the past, neither here nor there, but it, it, that is something that is only heightened a little bit by your inability to close out this spot. Hopkins does play a little bit of a small ball four a little bit, I think, for Illinois, and that's a position that they have really struggled to get. Like They've, they've hit on these other positions, but... EJ Liddell and Bryce Hopkins. I know for Piper, those are like the two top guys he's had. And those two in-state kids, we'll see with Hopkins, but Liddell, you weren't able to land. So if you miss out on Hopkins, it'd feel that way as well. All right, Carp, the Bears, we've just kind of been joking that, hey, we're along for the ride. Do your expectations change after a great win against Tom Brady and the Bucks, Or is it still just like, this is dumb, this is stupid, how are we 4-1? and one? And uh, are, are you just enjoying this or now do you kind of raise expectations? Hmm. If the spectrum is on one side week to week, you just kind of take it as each game comes or really quarter by quarter the way this team's playing. Right. Or the other side of that spectrum is actual expectations that this is a good team. I'm kind of in the middle. Whereas before that Bucks game, and to be honest, during the first quarter and during the third quarter, the third quarter wasn't all that great either thinking, I just, I don't know how good we are. And in the first quarter, actually, as many others did, posing the question well i mean should we get mitch back in there like i mean that's how bad it was in the first quarter so eventually though you are what your record is and that's a cliche but in the nfl more than any league it's the truth and i look at the nfc i look at how russell wilson looked pedestrian for three quarters last night and then pulls one out of his butt to win a game against a vikings team that's probably better than their record but guess what they're one and four in this nfc you take away the packers you take away, I guess, the Seahawks. And I see a big blob of, okay, we can hang. And, and then you get in the playoffs with an extra wild card spot. 
and just roll the dice and see what happens. So my expectations have heightened a little bit. Carolina seems like the classic trap game because they're <laughs> okay. They aren't bad. But at the same time, being 4-1 and, and, and the way this team finds ways to win, it's difficult for me to imagine now that they fall apart and go like 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9. and nine. I find that hard to picture now. Yeah, I, I think the expectation now is at playoffs, just because right, you you even go a little under five hundred, you can still make the playoffs here. Um, I just think it's a reminder that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, even if people want to paint them as incompetent, they're not. I, I think both are average, probably. I think Matt Nagy might be a little above average at his job when when people like to think that he's incompetent. We've seen incompetence, okay, with the Chicago Bears coaching. That was Mark Tressman, okay. Um, Matt Nagy is a competent head coach, and I think he's actually had a really good year. We've talked about culture-wise. This team doesn't give up, man. And they don't make huge mistakes, and they take advantage of other people's mistakes, and they got a little luck this year. So that's the difference right now between last year and this year is they've had a little bit more luck. Uh, but I think this team believes now, so I think that's, that's really important. All right, NBA Finals. Carp, I, I, in 2010, I was with everybody rooting against LeBron and the Heat, but... I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. I love watching that Heat team, and I should be rooting for them. And I found myself rooting for LeBron and the Lakers to close this one out, and boy, they did it in huge fashion. And I know everyone's having GOAT discussions, but I don't care about that. Whether you like Michael Moore or LeBron more, I guess that's fun to have that debate. Uh, but LeBron's one of the only guys we can put in that conversation because what he's done over the last decade, Jordan dominated a decade of NBA. Right, I think Kobe and Duncan were dominating 2000s. Right, LeBron from 2010 to 2020 has been the dominant force. He's 35 years old, 17 years in the league, and he still won another title. Was the best player on that team, even though he had another top five player. I just appreciate what he does so much, and it's amazing how long he's been dominating our NBA conversation. I was thinking about the goat discussion and how it'd be like saying uh, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, who's better? It's like, well, they're both all timers and they're both the best of what they ever did. They laid the foundation. They laid the framework. So in looking at Jordan, looking at LeBron, it is kind of a tired narrative at this point. LeBron's numbers speak for themselves and no one's ever going to go six and oh in an NBA finals. It's not going to happen ever again. Uh, LeBron, he was arguably and statistically, I think even show this more efficient in this NBA Finals than he has ever been. <laughs> that is frightening. And I love when he turns heel a little bit, if we could call it that, where at the end he said, and I want some damn respect to you, or whatever the words were. Yeah, He can say that. And I, I appreciate when there, you know, I as a Yankee fan, grew up with the Derek Jeter, vanilla guy. And that was perfect for New York, but not always the most exciting. I appreciate the fact that LeBron, coupled with what he's doing on the court, has had uh, has not hit at all in terms of speaking out, whether it be about his own legacy or even larger things like social issues. His legacy as a man, and I don't want to get too hyperbolic here, but we look at Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond the boxing ring. For LeBron James, it goes beyond the basketball court. And he's still writing the story. He's not done. He will probably be right back there next year and attempt to win a fifth one. Carp, I got to let you go, but you got a quick Yankees thought? After losing, that was a heck of a series with the Rays. I was so pissed. I mean, <laughs> Garrett Cole was worth it, though. Garrett Cole was worth I it. I know, totally worth it. But I tell you what, it was as that as the at bats got longer and the game went on, I knew. And I don't know if you felt the same watching it in terms of which team was likely to hit that home run to take the lead. And when the Brousseau, Brousseau, Brousseau whichever. <laughs> When that at bat drug on, and then, of course, they have the replay of the headhunting incident. With At the end of the day, 
this was not the most likable Yankees team. Yeah. At the end of the day, the Rays are likable, and I, I don't really have a dog in the fight apart from the fact I want them to be the Astros. And the Yankees got some soul-searching to do because I, I always appreciate the fact that they go out and they invest and they spend money. They give themselves a shot every year. I don't want to fire Cashman. I don't need to fire Aaron Boone. Guys didn't make it bats. Guys didn't make pitches. That's not on them. Mm-hmm. But I see the stable, stable of guys, like the Rays call it. Yankees don't have that. Nope. And until they get it, they are not winning a World Series. And as I texted or I tweeted Casey Boguslaw, please, Casey, tell me that the Dodgers would have just killed the Yankees anyways, and then I'll be okay. And he's like, yeah, probably so. And they probably would have. So it stinks, but baseball is one of those weird things. And I don't know if the White Sox for you, I, I tuned it out, and I, I'm just not really paying attention until maybe the World Series. I'm just taking a break, and that's okay. That's okay. I think you'll be okay. You still got a pretty good team and a lot of resources. Oh yeah. I mean, they'll be, they'll be back next year and they will be a favorite, but it, it is the world's smallest violin playing for Yankees fans. (laughs) I get it, but they have had, you would, you would admit 2017 to now the way they've exited each of those playoffs. Oh, it's 2017 game seven, the Astros 2018 losing at home to the Red Sox last year, Altuve off of Chapman. And then this year, Rousseau off of Chapman. It sucks, but you know it's like a Duke fan saying, "Oh God, that Elite yeah. Eight loss is really tough." Right, or Kansas Look fans, all the banners. Yeah, yeah you're more like Kansas at this point. Uh, Car, appreciate it, man, and uh, I love the dichotomy of the Rays, the small market, get, does it right, and then the Yankees, just with the the evil empire. It's it's fantastic. David vs. Goliath. Yeah, thank you, Car. Talk soon, man. All right, see you. That's uh, Michael Carpenter. See you. From the 200 level, check out that podcast. Appreciate him as always hopping on with us. And uh, yeah, I, I do want to give a little bit of thoughts. Uh, I know it's mostly Illini fans, but I know most Illini fans know I'm a White Sox fan. And there was big news today for the White Sox. And I think a lot of people outside the White Sox bubble might be shocked that Rick Renteria was fired. It's probably like Toronto Raptors fans when the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey. And maybe they weren't shocked. I bet they were a little bit more shocked. But maybe they weren't shocked at it. But then they go and hire Nick Nurse, who takes them to the next level, right? That's how it is for the White Sox. I get it. Rick Renteria was in the discussion for manager of the year. And I I believe he deserved to be in that. He set a good culture. He helped develop these players and put them at ease as he's developing these players. But the White Sox window is completely wide open right now, right? And when you have that window, as Cubs fans know, as, as fans of other teams know, it's pretty fleeting. And you can't waste your time. And I think we've seen, and it's not just the playoffs. It wasn't just the clutch moments down the season where the White Sox go 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Um, but in-game decision-making for Rick Renteria for his entire White Sox tenure was really lacking. And while the first couple of years you can excuse it because it's like, well, he's not coaching to win this game. He's coaching for two years from now. Well, two years from now was this year. And the managerial decisions he made throughout the year, but especially late in the year, just putting a clearer focus that you're probably going to have to replace this guy. This guy probably isn't the guy to get the most out of your team. And you can't wait. If you know that, and Rick Hahn knew it, if you know you can upgrade, you have to do it now. You can't wait another year, give him a whole 162 plus of playoffs if you get there uh, to see if he can correct it. Rick Rontria has been in baseball a long time. I, I think he can learn from these things, but you'd rather have somebody who you know is good at those things. And the two interesting candidates, of course, would be A.J. Hinch, formerly of the Houston Astros, and Alex Cora, formerly of the Boston Red Sox, both who were suspended this entire year due to their roles in the scandals with the Astros and Red Sox. But if you're the White Sox, it's a business decision. 
And if you think those guys are great, and Dallas Keuchel would know about both those guys uh, during their time with the Astros, if he thinks they're really good in-game managers who can also hold players accountable and, and, and you know have a good environment in that clubhouse, then you go get them. Or if it's some other guy from the Dodgers or the Rays, some of the teams we're talking about that have these winning cultures, you go steal somebody from those organizations. You know, Kevin Cash has been one of the best managers in baseball with the Rays. Um, don't th- now's the time to go, right? That that's what you do. You go all in on this window. So I was happy to see that, even though I appreciated Rick uh, and what he did the last couple of years. As Cubs fans know. You go get a better manager if you can go get a better manager. And Rick Renteria, for the second time in his career, is the guy who's shown the door to try and get that other manager. All right, always appreciate listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Covered a lot of ground today with Carp. We're going to do that every Monday. And next Monday, Carp and I are going to preview a game, Illinois-Wisconsin. And, of course, we have the latest news, the latest analysis. I just put up my defensive backs primer today. Uh, and I'm working on a story on Owen Carney, working on a story on the special teams unit as well. So keep up with all of that at Illini Inquirer. And of course, for the latest on Bryce Hopkins, uh, Derek Piper has been dropping some nuggets uh, the last couple days on the premium board there. Uh, you can check that out on the uh, site as well. Uh, and you can always sign up right now, $1 for your first month of VIP access to Illini Inquirer. Always appreciate listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. If you don't already, subscribe to us, rate us, review us wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.